0: Ah, for Christ's sake, Anakin! Hello and welcome to episode 36 of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. I'm your host, Matthew Neugebauer, coming to you live to air on this sunny, probably pretty warm August 6th, 2018 here in Churchland. It is the Feast of the Transfiguration, where we celebrate the... uh, the moment where Jesus goes to the up top of the mountain and receives a vision of Moses and Elijah receiving the law and the prophets, going face full, all white and everything. I'm sure there's plenty of Star Wars parallels there. Uh, I'm not going to get to those today. We'll see. Maybe in episode nine, might be something more about Rey receiving the tradition and going forward. Something with Last Jedi. Anyways, today we're going to talk about millennials and what millennials want, and, and I'll get into what occasion that this, this discussion I do count myself as a millennial myself. Um, but first, talk about how my Star Warsing? Uh, I'm a bit, I'm about halfway into uh, Thrawn Alliances, the new Timothy Zahn novel, the sequel, if you will, to to the, the first Thrawn novel. But in a lot of ways, also a prequel. It picks up on that moment uh, in, in the first novel, Thrawn tells Palpatine, oh, I met this Jedi, Anakin Skywalker. He was a great warrior. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's just, it what was interesting, what I was surprised by is just how much it's delving into that story, that aspect of it. So, where I say it's set, it's, the, and I don't know how much it's going to be... Uh, picking up on that story if it, or if it's going to the thrust of it, like the cover is going to be primarily, at least for the second half about Vader and Thrawn in that time period. But a lot of that first half, hope I'm not spoiling too much for you. A lot of that first half is, is when, when Anakin and Thrawn went to Batuu, the planet on, uh, in Star Wars galaxy's edge, the, the Disneyland Disney world place, <laughs> um, and, and and that time period. So that that was surprising to me in and just to pick up what I was saying last week about the prequelist golden age. Yeah, a lot of uh, the the Vader Thrawn stuff is set after season 3 of Rebels. Uh so, you know just before the se- the last season, right? <laughs> and uh the the but the the, the Anakin Thrawn stuff is set after season 5 of the Clone Wars. And we get why early on. Get that early on. So uh, it, yeah again. Fascinating a lot. I'm, I'm finding. I, this shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> I'm drawn more to Anakin. Than to Thrawn in this book. I wonder if that's just my own. Way of, of approaching Star Wars. As if you've followed this podcast. You know where I see. Where where I gravitate towards. But I do wonder if it's because in Star Wars, Anakin is, is the center, the gravity, well, the, the sun, uh, <clears throat> and the, the sun around which everything revolves. Um, and so I'm definitely, my attention is drawn there. If Anakin's the sun, to take am maybe a bit of an older cosmology. Padme is the moon <laughs> and, um, yeah, not. That revolves around the earth, but the the two twin origin points, if you will, uh, of the saga, and going forward. I mean, the the ripples of uh, of Luke and of Leia in in Padme's legacy too, and then of course seeing you know with, with Rey and with maybe uh, maybe even Poe to some extent. I don't know. There isn't necessarily a direct influence there, but. Uh, Padme's influence and and just go getter attitude, even as a senator, um, he comes comes to play in in this novel too. And this beautiful came with a beautiful poster. Um, if you if you get the Barnes and Noble exclusive of, of this novel, you get a beautiful poster of of Padme kicking butt and taking names, and well, not really, just uh, <laughs> marching along along. Black Spire in in Bat on Batu in in her gear in, with a blaster, <laughs> and it, it's pretty awesome just to see to see Padme back again. We're gonna see a lot more of her a few years earlier. in Southern Ontario's own Kate Johnston's uh, novel that come out it was gonna come out in February that is actually moved to April, and that's fine to me. Um, so yeah, Throne Alliance is it, it is a a funny thing in that I find myself wanting to go back and written, sitting down and reading it, but it's also not the type of novel that I tend to read. It is a slow plotting. uh, Yeah. More of a whodunit, more of a um, Sherlock Holmes style thing than even the first novel. So in that sense, Thrawn is, is definitely, (laughs) I mean, in, in the center, at the center of this novel, but it, it's almost Thrawn leading Anakin and Vader uh, along in in the way Thrawn goes about things, and so um, it, it's definitely both in a lot of ways, and kind of the way, a little bit the way uh, if you've read James Lucino's Tarkin novel, uh, Vader looms large there too. He looms, <laughs> literally looms large in everything, right? Um. So, interesting novel. Um. Yeah, I going to talk about comics. I'll talk mention the comics. I haven't mentioned them too too much. I'm just thinking about that today. They kind of fly under the radar a little bit, and I mentioned that a lot. And I said, "Oh, I keep forgetting to mention the comics." Well, uh, the current, ongoing Star Wars run. Yeah, very interesting. Uh, I'm sure they're leading us up to. Uh, Hoth in The Empire Strikes Back and Kieran Gillen is one of my favorite one of my favorite writers in Star Wars right now, he doesn't get enough credit as one of those, one, one of the people at, at the the heart of telling this story, again because the comics go under the radar a little bit uh, this this current arc, it's called Hope Dies and it is uh, uh, it is dire and it is fleshing out just how tenuous the the rebel situation was, just before Emperor Strikes Back. So that's, uh, that's interesting. Definitely something to get into. Um, you know, if you if you're into the comics, if you're if you wanted to get into the comics, yeah, I can definitely start picking up the this ongoing Star Wars run. Start back at issue number one, back in 2015. Uh, There's some news about San out of San Diego Comic Con that. Uh, the Podammerin run was going to come to an end. That's a good one if you want to look at the uh, the sequel trilogy era. Uh, but I'd also recommend the the Vader 2017 run. That I forget how many issues they're into now. They've got to be into to be into sixteen or seventeen or eighteen or something now. Um, that one is definitely the most fascinating. It's it's shortly after Revenge of the Sith, so. That's how I'm Star Wars, and I'll get to a tidbit of news in a second. Water break and some R two. See, isn't he's upset that I didn't introduce him? I'm sorry, buddy. Um. So just the news I, I mentioned. I was going to mention last week. I said I was going to say a bit about the episode nine casting. I don't know if the uh, there's too much to say that hasn't already said, except to say. Um, as already said on other media outlets, the, the solution to Carrie Fisher uh, and Princess Leia being in the or General Leia, sorry, being in the film, it was the perfect solution sitting right in front of us. Yes, they had footage from Episode 7. We've heard now, we're learning now this footage from Episode 8. Uh, the perfect solution sitting right in front of us. <laughs> and that was, I thought, okay, are they going to recast? Are going to do CG? None of those really sat well with, with me and with a lot of people, and so just because you know the, the recasting completely to have something completely different, Carrie Fisher was Leia. The CG, you know, it's great. It's I frankly don't think it's quite there yet. That's the crazy thing. I mean, you if you see an Ant Man, some of the other Marvel films, the ability to. Uh, to, to de-age and to, to replicate. It's better than already than what Rogue One had. Um, but, yeah, I don't think it's quite there yet. Some details about the mouth and different things. So, um, I'm definitely glad to see what they're going to do. You know, Billy Lord, Carrie Fisher's daughter, and uh, Todd Fisher, Carrie Fisher's brother, are both on board, it seems, with, with this. So, that's the, that's the biggest news. Mark Hamill is going to be in it. Um, yeah, Carrie Russell and and some other new new other new actors. We don't know what their character is going to be. I can see Carrie Russell being. I haven't seen. I haven't watched much of what she's done, but I can see her being on either side, frankly. So, um, yeah, that, that's all I have to say really about the casting. The I had one thought about the Clone Wars. Because people have asked, uh, not necessarily asked me directly, but thought, okay, you know, have the things from Dark Disciple and uh, the the stories from Dark Disciple and the stories from Darth Maul, son of Dathomir. Another way I've been Star Warsing recently is, ever since the cameo in Solo, I've wanted to actually go back and track Maul's rise, his return, and, and rise to to where where he is. We see in, I guess, season four of Clone Wars. Uh, as when he becomes Mandalore. This is some spoilers for Clone Wars. <laughs> becomes uh, the head honcho of Mandalore. Basically, in Legends, it's called becoming the Mandalore. The, the ruler of the Mandalorian people. And uh, and uh, having, this, having this criminal empire to where he is. Uh, we see him in Solo as just the head of, of Crimson Dawn. Where we see him in Rebels, where he's completely off the map again. So, uh, and so part of that is I read the the Son of Dathomir comics. I got them on on digital on comiXology. I found issues two to th- two to four at, uh at a convention one year. I think it was Fan Expo last year, and uh, for a steal of two dollars each when those things are worth a lot more money, <laughs> um, because they're, they're the only. Dark Horse stories still in canon. Anyway, the question is: Are they are those going to be in the new uh, in the new in season seven of Clone Wars? And I really don't think so. is my answer. I mean, I, I'm I'm quite certain they won't be. Uh, what we know is Disney Lucasfilm, especially, doesn't like making on-screen adaptations of. Paper material, if you know what I mean. So they're, they're, they're more than willing, they, are, they do go the other direction of, sorry, making novelizations and con- comic adaptations of on-screen material, right? I mean, every film has both a novelization and a comic adaptation. Some novels, like the Thrawn novel and Lost Stars, the original Thrawn novel and Lost Stars have had now comic adaptations made for them just like um the original throne trilogy had a comic adaptation and splinter of the mind's eye did too but they don't they won't go the other direction right they won't say here's the story the script that we have that has already been released as a novel and we're gonna go the other way and uh that's partly because of the films and what's on screen there aren't levels of canon, but I've addressed this before, right? That, that insofar as something's more accurate, quote unquote, of what we're seeing, it's it's the on-screen version, and so uh, they don't want to be too bound by it. You know, it, it, it's just a matter of, of what certainly what Lucasfilm prefers. I'm going. I haven't read Lost. Um, uh, not Lost Stars. I've read Lost Stars. Um, Christy Golden's... I'm going to go look and see what it is. Dark Disciple, that's what I meant. I haven't actually read Dark Disciple yet. I'm going to read that right after Thrawn Alliances because I do want to get caught up on what uh, what's going on. And interestingly, Thrawn Alliances is, is set in that murky time as well. Um, you know, and you know, and that's the thing is, uh, Son of Dathomir... Works as a comic book. I mean, there were some moments in there where there was action that well, that would be cool to have seen on screen. But it works as a comic book, uh, from what everything I've heard. Dark Disciple works as a comic book, and that's or works as a novel rather. And that's credit, of course, to the strong story that Katie Lucas wrote. That's credit to um, I'm sure this, the script that that she wrote and and whatnot. But also credit, probably, to Christy Golden's ability to to, to write and write action, write, you know, uh, female action, if you will. To, uh, you know, Ventress is, is a main character in that. I've read, you know, the, the Inferno Squad book, of course, with Aiden Versio as, as a main character there. She does a great job with that. So, in uh, credit to that. And, and of course, uh, oh, what's the, what's the Jedi's name? Blanking on the Jedi's name. Um, who's Who's also in... Dark disciple uh, will come to me when I get it. If you know it, tweet it out at me. Uh, the guy with the, the 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 yellow eye band thing that shows up in Phantom Menace for a second, and he can touch things. And I don't know it, it that happens. Anyway, two very, uh, very Quinlan Voss, That's what I'm thinking. Quinlan Voss, not related to Dryden Voss. Quinlan Voss on Boss Pity. <laughs> uh, anyway. Strong characters, really interesting characters. Uh, I'm sure it works great as a novel. So there's no real need to, to make them. I mean, the, the episodes are probably already made. Why not take the parts of the, from the Bad Batch? I don't know if we'll see the Crystal Crisis either. Maybe I said that last week. But that would be interesting because uh, the, the Bad Batch and the Crystal Crisis are unfinished episodes that were put onto StarWars.com. And I think they're also on YouTube. I was going to watch them. I think I watched one of the episodes of the Crystal Crisis. Uh, I'm not going to now. If, if we're going to see them completed, it would be interesting to see that because of it actually ties into a Crystal Crisis. It's a massive Kyber crystal that uh, the, the Republic is taking for, has stolen from the Separatists, I think, and or trying to prevent you know Obi Wan of trying to prevent it from being stolen by the Separatists. Why? Because what can a giant uh, kyber crystal do? As we've heard from the Catalyst novel and seen with Rogue One. And what we knew already is it fuels the Death Star. (laughs) So there's that connection there to the canon later on. So so we don't know. Who knows? Uh, We're definitely going to see the Siege of Mandalore. Is that going to tie into stuff from Episode 3? Maybe from other perspectives. One thing I heard that was really interesting... Um, for where, oh, it was probably for the Force Center podcast saying they could use some things in there to say, looking at Padme's death from another angle. Who knows? Anyways, I've gone on to longer of the news, water break with R2. Okay, so, I'm my main, main topic here, and, um. What do millennials want? What are, what do millennials hope for? Um, and the reason this came up, and this is slightly dated, I'll admit, but uh, last month, whereas, yeah, I guess it would have been about a month ago, the the Episcopal Church in the United States. So now I'm getting churchy here. <laughs> the Episcopal Church in the United States was had their their general convention, their 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 big meeting where kind of the big legislative week-long, week-and-a-half meeting where they come together and they discuss things and they vote on things, and it's every three years. Anyway, one of the main things they were taking up this year was um, sorry, revising a plan to revise the, the Book of Common Prayer, it's their, their main liturgy. And I haven't had a chance to talk about liturgy on here too much, so it's nice to delve into that. And... And one of the big things that came up, so they had a plan, so the House of Deputies, the lower house that's clergy and laity and not bishops, wanted to bring forth a plan, bring out a plan to have a new Book of Common Prayer by the year 2030. And um, so the the, this, the committee, it's like the U.S. Congress, right? they have the committee that brings things resolutions to the floor. The committee brought this resolution to the floor. And one of the big questions going into it is, I mean, one of the big questions facing the facing churches all over is especially in the West, is how do we bring in young people? How do we attract young people? Attracting the millennials, millennial generation. And what do millennials want? <laughs> and and that's a hard thing for for general convention to ask and to answer because it's still primarily led by uh, people in their fifties, sixties, um, largely very very white, very not necessarily male, but you know um, of a certain certain demographic, right? And and, and that that just is what it is to some extent. Um, the the youth presence, yeah, there are delegates from, from dioceses, but the the youth presence, the young adult presence isn't as substantive as it is, say here in Canada with the with youth delegates to general synod that are a voting do have voting rights and are able to, to participate as youth delegates, but able to participate as full delegates. Full full dep- or yeah, full full delegates. Um Sorry, in the U.S. it's called the House of Deputies. That's what I'm getting. Anyway, yeah. right, so the, the, the question came up, and what we saw was kind of funny. The resolution had so many amendments to it, and this is you know, a main, mainstream liberal church, and so, so many amendments about including language and sexual orientation and disability, and but also being... You know, the tradition of, of you know the the Lambeth Quad Chicago Lambeth quadrilateral take about scripture and bishops and and different things the, the, receiving the tradition mean ecumenical commitments and all that and having this thing that in this process that in twelve years they're going to have a new book of common prayer, a new liturgy based on all these requirements and and I'm not saying, it's bad to consider all these things. But I think the bishops looked at this and said, well, you have these trial use liturgies. Um, we don't know if we want to commit all this time and resources and money to, to this process. And we have bigger fish to fry. Um, there were all these concerns about was it, how accessible was this to, to Spanish speakers uh, even the actual proceedings of general convention, how accessible it was. And that was also a problem in the house of bishops. And, and that was interesting and concerning in light of how very clear moral stance they took um, about they've taken on, on immigration and um, how they organized this wonderful, beautiful rally outside one of the, the prisons where, or one of, basically prisons where camps where asylum seekers were separated from their children, and so, so all this stuff is in the background here. And one of the questions, then, you know, what, sorry, what do millennials want? And and the assumption is, often, um, just diversity for diversity's sake. It's let's lay down the these requirements and have all these requirements for all these different constituencies to come together and say, okay, we want, uh, yes, we want want accessibility accessibility in Spanish and we want in French and they have other language concerns. It sounds similar to Canada, right? (laughs) Um, Yeah. Based on uh, physical ability and sexual orientation and, 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 racial justice and racial history and things like that. And I think the again, the assumption is millennials want to be included and want to have just a piece of the puzzle here. And and that to me, that's the limitation is just to want a piece of the pie, a piece of the puzzle. And I think and, and the the concern there is that, that just doesn't go deep enough that people um, assume it's about having a voice and having a role in the procedure. That, that's kind of the problem. And I said this is liberalism. <laughs> liberalism is good and helpful. Here, here's my point though, is uh, millennials don't just want a piece at the table. Right, a piece of the pie, a piece of the table, to go off and do her own thing. And I'm going to define millennial. I consider myself a millennial. Someone who, around 35 or younger, come of age in the in the millennium after the year 2000. There's probably debate about whether or not uh, people who have come of age in the 2010s are still millennials, I think, to some degree. Uh, social media is a major part of our life. Uh, both for good and for ill, uh, looking at screens and being connected in these new and different ways are major parts of our life. And and one of the biggest things is um, you know, this challenge, this protest against the the business as usual from the last hundred just a hundred or so years, and this thing of saying. Uh, yes, patriarchy has limited voices and limited other people's voices, and needs to be, you know, share a piece of the puzzle. I think a lot of and a lot of these, uh, elder leaders, very well intentioned, very well meaning, um, but also see, okay, I have these responsibilities here and there. They they want. I'm trying to say here. They they tend again to assume that it's just enough to give a piece of the puzzle, a piece of the pie. My point is, millennials do not just want a piece of the puzzle, a piece of the pie. Do not just want it to be included. Um, millennials certainly don't want a perpetuation of the idea that. It's still just a market, and have to have market share, right? Millennials want <laughs> to undercut the very idea that uh, life can be dictated by market share and and, and by by market leveraging, right? Um, I, I saw this great great meme the other day where uh, it says when the revolution happens. Your back won't be up against the wall. You won't just get the wall. You'll get four walls and a nice house and a full meal. Because the rebellion, the revolution, isn't about hurting other people. But competing with other people. It's about uh, caring for all as best we can. Millennials don't want a piece of the puzzle. Millennials want to be called into something greater than themselves yes we want to be welcomed we want to be included we want it to be ourselves present in something greater than ourselves but we want to be called into something greater than ourselves and so i mean what i I think one of the things i said before was and one of the things i began to think about is, is the greatest problem the greatest question that is facing Christians in the West is uh, what do we do with the fall of, of Christendom right? where we can't assume that the society at large understands or believes in the type of things that we believe in or care about more. I think whether rubber hits the road, we can't assume that our parishes are going to be filled with young people anymore. Um, and so we've t- a lot of the leadership has taken two opposing tacks to this, and and, and yeah, I mean the people who of a previous generation who who are tr- we're trying to grapple with this again, well-meaning and in some ways very right. That's the thing they've taken either to say, yeah, it's just about giving people a piece of the puzzle. So we're going to go with where all this clamoring for diversity and inclusion happens. We're just going to go with that. And so anything that's more inclusive and more welcoming, we're just going to go for it. right? Uh, some of that's good. Some of that's well and good. Some of that, something like, for example, I, I, I'm very clear on where I stand on the formal rules around admitting when it comes to if you're baptized, can you receive communion? Or sorry, as in... Reception of the Eucharist is only for people who are baptized. That, to me, is a line that we shouldn't cross, right? Because of what baptism means and what what the Eucharist means. There are people who, because it's just inclusive, right? When, when we talk about the creeds and how, uh, oh, we got to make those optional because it's an old linear form of thinking. Well, no, it, it, it's about baptism and the creeds are about, our approach to God and who God is, right? And so same with the with Eucharistic liturgy is I'm taking this tack of laying things down with all these requirements and restrictions and whatnot, and part of it, okay, there, there are the trial use liturgies, there are the options uh, in your community. You try them out, go for them, fine. The official Book of Common Prayer needs to be able to sustain all these things together on the other side. <laughs> and this is right. And, this is, and what I'm getting at is here, why in church terms, I'm i I'm an activist moderate here. So on the other side are people who, you know, have, have clamped down and have built this fortress mentality of saying the world outside is toxic and going to hell in a handbasket. And so we've got to, uh, take this, close our, our monastery walls, if you will. And the quote, quote, a Benedict option, right. And, um, any sort of inclusion and, and welcome to the point of saying welcome itself is, has been cheapened. And, um, it's only about calling people higher, high in the sky to challenge and, not being sensitive to where it leads people to not be sensitive to where they are, where people are at, what they what they long for, how, for example, how same-sex couples can you know imagine the possibility that they, they actually can be included in Christian marriage. It has been the, the hot button presenting issue for the last number of decades. There are other issues there. My point is, again, they're both right in a lot of ways because, and, and that's the thing, what what young people my age younger want to hear is actually, yes, you are welcome. Yes, you are included in this thing that was before you and is bigger than you and is about nothing less than the redemption of the world. right? The saving of the galaxy <laughs> to, to, to transition here. What millennials want is hope, right? Especially now, especially in this time when you know, you know housing costs are up and wages are down, when we're being told basically to sacrifice any sort of social life or any sort of enjoyment just to make ends meet. We're told to give up on our on our dreams of, you know, of, of what we really feel called to do. Right? That's the thing. We want jobs that sustain us and, and um, you know open our minds and our hearts to do newer possibilities, right? Uh, and so again, the there's this rebellion against simply being cogs in a machine. Rebellion against. Simply letting it be a machine. And one of the things we're tired of being told is, rebellions are built on hate. This is a really interesting scene in the battle, the Battlefront Two campaign, uh, campaign, the story mode, where the Dadmiral, dad, <laughs> Admiral Versio, is talking to his daughter Iden and saying, "Who's still who's, who's a Imperial agent? Rebellions, rebellions are built on hate." And just all they want is wanton destruction. No, rebellions in this case, this type of rebellion is built on hope. And it's built on love, right? And, you know, hope, of course, the Christian hope that actually we can work for the restoration of creation. And and yeah, sometimes we do need to to take the jobs, take the temp jobs, take the office jobs just so we can have some money to get get by. Um, but in the end, we realized no, those aren't going to make enough money anyways, so we might as well just do what we love and make that kind of money. Um, water break. So, yeah, this rebellion is built on hope. Uh, Luke Skywalker was the great hero of that generation in the late 70s, early 80s. Luke Skywalker, young Luke Skywalker, is still the great hero of our generation, of our time. Not because he stood up and said, here I am, I'm going to be the one to... Here's the funny thing people don't get about The Last Jedi, right? (laughs) People who critique Luke in The Last Jedi. The, the original heroism of Luke isn't, here I am, I'm going to take over, I'm going to be the boss now, right? That isn't heroism anymore. That isn't what we understand as being what's helpful to society and what's helpful to following what, what we want to do and what we need as millennials, right? Luke is the great hero of our time because he took his first steps into a wider world. right? He's at the cockpit of this X-Wing. And, yeah, he's going to go be the hero. But he turns off his targeting computer <laughs> and trusts in the Force. Right? He's Red 5. He's not Red Leader. He's Red 5. Yeah, he eventually becomes Rogue Leader. Sure. Um, and, and Grand Master and all that. But... He has his place at the table, as part of this bigger rebellion, right? One that Jin Urso provided a great spark for. Right, the very thing that Luke is doing in his X-wing. There's a great meme that this photo uh, of the torpedoes going in, into stardust, right, is only possible because Jin Urso sitting around the table, people trying to secure their peace in the pie in this great scene in Rogue One that surprised me. Great scene in Rogue One. They were trying to secure the, and, and survive, and it's well meaning. It's fair. Fair questions for some of these rebellion leaders to ask. But here's Jin saying, you know, what, what choice do we have, right? Rebellions, you know, the thing that Cassian said before. What do I mean by hope? I should clarify then, just to, to conclude here. I made this this joke actually in a, in a sermon for Trinity Sunday. I, and, I, and I forgot that, forget the passage. But <laughs> faith leads to endurance, endurance leads to courage, and courage leads to hope. And this is from, I think, 1 Corinthians. And hope does not disappoint. Hope that as we step out into a wider world... God will meet us, God will encounter us and ter- carry us together into, and give us the ability, to the energy and the joy to care for others and to seek their welfare, the ability for us to be able to be vulnerable with others and receive their care and love back, that actually God will bring out all the good in the end. That's what we see in Star Wars. This is the thing. Interestingly enough, um, touching a bit of news the other day, uh, Patrick Stewart coming out and um, actually saying Star Trek needs to talk about hope. Now, for a while, it talked about optimism and talk about pessimism, and something fizzled out, and Enterprise broke something, and just the the last season of Discovery said. Okay, we gotta be kind of pessimistic here. But then they, they're taking this course correction, saying, no, wait a minute. If the world can be as dark as it is, we need to actually say, no, it doesn't have to be this way. That's the thing Star Wars has said from the very beginning, <laughs> right? That the world, that people can actually. Come together, trust in this great mystical thing that unites us that's bigger than ourselves. Um, and actually do the impossible. Right? Do the the thing we, we didn't think was going to happen, defeat the odds with our little act of bravery and generosity. So that is, that is getting at what I think. It's just, of course, my, my own take, my own read. I, I'm a little older, but I still consider myself a millennial. <laughs> um, my thing, of my read on what millennials want, what millennials really hoping for, how we approach Star Wars. You know, hashtag Star Wars Rep Matters. Why does it rep matter? Why does rep matter? Because people want to see themselves as part of this bigger thing. At least that's, again, my take. I, I'm, I'm not the expert on that. Um, I, I mean, I've been, my skin color has been represented in Luke since 1977, but I, I hope that's what, what people that resonates with people I hope that resonates with you. Um, hope this, was, this made sense and was coherent. <laughs> and uh, That's something I've thought about for a while. And I'm going to think about even more and continue to. <coughs> Sorry, a bit of a water break. Um, I also hope so yeah, this was a bit more of a churchy episode, but you know, the way I approach Star Wars in a lot of ways. I approach the original trilogy and how it's been ingrained in me. Uh, throughout my life, too. So, if that resonated with you, if you think it was, I'm, I'm off my rocker. Hopefully not. Uh, send me, give me a, a follow on Twitter at NEUG four eighty five. Request to follow on Instagram at MNEUG g eleven thirty eight. Um, thanks for listening. This has been episode thirty six of For Christ's Sake, Anakin. <coughs> May the Force be with you, always.